Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Trinity Lutheran Church. I'm Pastor Bibb. And a special warm welcome to any guests or visitors joining us this day. Please know you're always welcome here at Trinity Lutheran Church. And we've now come to the last of the brief pre-Lent season. This is Septuagesima Sunday. Or I'm sorry, Quinquagesima. <laughs> uh, think of the past three weeks. And so that strange name, Quinquagesima, uh, is Latin for 50th. So we're approximately 50 days from the celebration of Easter, and that's what that uh, different sounding name marks. It's a time marker in the church year calendar uh, from how far we are away from the celebration of the resurrection of our Lord. And as we've seen these past weeks, uh, each of these special Sundays has a focus, the first of which was grace alone, last week was scripture alone, and today is faith alone. And so with that, I'll direct your attention to the inside of the back cover of your bulletin, where we have a summary of our readings for today. The seeing are blind, while the one who is blind can see. Jesus tells the twelve that he is going up to Jerusalem to suffer and die and rise again, but they cannot understand or grasp what he is saying. The meaning of his words is hidden from their sight. However, as Jesus makes his way up to Jerusalem, a blind man calls out to him for mercy. The blind man sees that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior, for he calls him Son of David. Indeed, Jesus is the Lord's anointed, the keeper of sheep, who goes to lay his life down for the sheep. He is the incarnate love of the Father who suffers long and is kind, who is not puffed up, who never fails us. Jesus opens the eyes of the blind to see him not according to outward appearances of lowliness, but according to his heart of mercy and compassion. Those who behold him thus by faith follow him to the cross through death into life. And of course, we have the great joy of receiving the Lord's body and blood this day, the gifts uh, which he won for us on the cross, forgiveness, life, and salvation. And according to his word, we receive this gift in the unity of one confession, being one loaf, one bread, as we are taught by St. Paul. And so therefore, all those joining us at the altar this day, we ask that they be in that same confession of ours, either being a member of this congregation or of a sister congregation of the Lutheran Church, which we synod as we come forward to receive the Lord's body and blood. Our service is Divine Service Setting 3. As it begins on page 184, we now sing the first hymn. O Lord, mercifully hear our prayers, and having set us free from the bonds of our sins, deliver us from every evil. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him, trembling, and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. 
I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. This is the word of the Lord. The epistle is from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clinging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 18th chapter. Taking the twelve, Jesus said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon, and after flogging him they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. 
And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. This is the gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God the Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Quinquagesima marks the final Sunday in this brief pre-Lent season in the church year. And so for these past weeks, we've watched as Jesus did the very things he spoke of in the parables concerning the kingdom of God. Two weeks ago on Septuagesima, we saw Jesus as the owner of the vineyard, who, if you remember, was going out, calling laborers into his vineyard and rewarding them, not because of how much or how little they worked, but by his grace alone. Last week, of course, was sexagesima, and we saw Jesus going out as the sower of the seed. The Lord spreads his living and active word far and wide, desiring that all would come to the knowledge of the truth, for he himself is the truth, desiring that all would be saved. Although many hear his word and harden their hearts in unbelief, wither away in persecution, or get choked off by the cares and pleasures of life, there still exists a great and bountiful harvest of souls which the Holy Spirit reaps. The Word of God always accomplishes the purposes for which he sends it. It does not return void. It does not return empty. By the power of his Spirit, the Word of God works faith in the hearts of those who hear and believe. As we have it in the Augsburg Confession, the Holy Spirit works faith when and where it pleases him, using the Word of God. By the power of earth. Today, rather, we do not hear another parable, though. Jesus doesn't just go anywhere. He took the twelve and he said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem. And everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. And that word that he says there is the same as what he speaks on the cross. That it is accomplished. It is fulfilled. It is completed. It is finished. And so he goes to do just that. This was the third time that Jesus told his disciples he was going to die. The Christ gave his disciples a very full and quite graphic description of what lie ahead of him, a foretelling of what the Son of Man must and will fulfill, according to Moses and the prophets. All that the Old Testament prophets had written concerning the Christ would be fulfilled in Jerusalem. The journey was beginning now. Although he had spoken to them plainly and clearly, we're told, though, that the disciples, they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them. Note the passive language. And they did not grasp what was said. The time for understanding would surely come. However, for now, the disciples would not and could not see. They didn't understand. Now, rest assured, of course, their physical eyes, they worked just fine. What they lacked was spiritual sight and understanding. They saw Christ as in a mirror dimly. Was Jesus more than an ordinary man? Well, most assuredly, they knew that. Did they believe that he was the Christ? Yes, without question. 
However, they did not grasp the fullness of what it meant that he was the promised Messiah. Jesus' disciples, they would certainly see everything happen to him. They'd behold it with their eyes, but they wouldn't understand it rightly until the resurrection. As we read in Luke 24, 45, that Jesus appeared to his disciples and he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Though the disciples didn't see Christ clearly as yet, they were about to meet a man who did. And there is some sweet irony in this. St. Luke tells us, it came to pass then that as he, as Jesus, drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside. And hearing a crowd going by, he asked what this meant. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. What the disciples do not see, the blind man sees clearly. He cried out as we do at the beginning of the divine service. Kyrie eleison, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy. You see, when we pray that, we're not asking for another absolution. We just received the Lord's absolution. The cry of Lord have mercy is a cry of faith, a prayer of faith. It is the cry of a beggar asking for gifts from a merciful and benevolent king who is among his people. It is the cry of those in need seeking the mercy, aid, and compassion of the only one who can truly give it. Therefore, this blind beggar, he cries out in faith, seeing and knowing by faith who Jesus truly is. He is the promised son of David, the shepherd of God's people, anointed for their salvation. He is the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. And so St. Luke continues, and those who were in front, they rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. The people going before and in front of this begging blind man, their behavior is devilish. It is demonic. They tell this man to shut up. This is what the devil attempts with us when it comes to our prayers, our cries for the Lord's mercy. You see, the devil tries to make you believe that Jesus doesn't care, that he doesn't want to hear you, or that worse yet, he doesn't want to hear your prayers. The devil wants you to believe the preaching of his lies rather than the truth of Christ's word. The devil does not want you to pray. Now why? Why does the devil have such a stake in keeping you from praying? Because you see his plans and his purposes, they are undone by your prayers to Jesus. They're rent asunder by your prayers to the Lord. Prayer is detrimental to the devil's vile schemes. Remember the third petition of the Lord's prayer and its meaning. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does this mean? The good and gracious will of God is done even without our prayer, but we pray in this petition that it may be done among us also. And so then how is God's will done? God's will is done when he breaks and hinders every evil plan and purpose of the devil, the world, and our sinful nature, which do not want us to hallow God's word or let his kingdom come. And when he strengthens and keeps us firm in his word and faith until we die, this is his good and gracious will. Amen. Therefore, dear saints, cry out to the Lord. Cry out to him for his mercy. Call upon him. For he delights to shower his mercy upon you, his repentant children. Spite the devil, kick dirt in his eye, and cry out for the Lord's mercy, praying that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, when the devil, the world, and even your own sinful flesh rebuke you and tell you, be silent, take an example from your brother in the faith whom we see in this gospel lesson today. 
and cry out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. You see, we see the Lord's compassion and goodness in what follows after this prayer. Then having stopped, Jesus commanded him to be brought to him. And then having drawn near to him, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said to him, Receive sight. Your faith has saved you, not made you well. That's what it says in the original text. Your faith has saved you. And immediately he received sight and followed him, glorifying God. This begging blind man saw Jesus by faith. He saw Jesus for who he truly was and is the Son of God and Son of Man, the anointed Savior. This is what faith does. In the face of unbelief and opposition, faith clings to the sure and certain promises of Jesus, crucified and risen for you, and ignores everything else. Though this man lacked physical sight, he beheld Jesus by faith and he clung to those promises. And notice also that before Jesus met this man, we're told quite clearly that he told his disciples of his urgent need to go to Jerusalem. And despite this, Jesus stops and pauses and helps this man. He helps him with a physical need that he had. And in this we see that our gracious Lord, he's never too busy for our prayers. He is always at hand to hear you, his beloved ones, his lambs, who cry out to their good shepherd, and he hears you. Therefore, when you pray, Lord, have mercy, know that Jesus comes near to you with the same question. What do you want me to do for you? And he doesn't ask it with annoyance. He doesn't ask it with a snarl on his face or indignation. He asks in compassion and mercy, for his love and his mercy are yours. You see, the Lord who stopped on his way to Jerusalem so that he could inquire of a blind beggar stops before us poor beggars, and he hears our prayers and petitions as well, and he delights in them. Thanks be to God. And so, dear saints, as we stand on the edge of Lent, beginning our journey to Jerusalem once again, the prayer of the blind man, it becomes our own. Indeed, this is the prayer of all Christians. Lord, let me recover my sight. Lord, have mercy upon me. Or more bluntly, as the man says, let me see again. Lord Jesus, let me see again your cross and your passion, your precious death and burial. Let me see again the blood of your covenant shed for me for the forgiveness of my sins. Let me see again your love that is patient, is kind, and long-suffering. Let me see again how you gave up your body for my forgiveness and salvation, for my redemption, so that I might be yours in your kingdom and live under your rule, your gracious lordship, and everlasting blessedness and peace. There is much in this gospel lesson for us to delight in on this day. However, when Jesus says, your faith has saved you, the important thing is not that this man's faith made him physically see again. That is a miracle. God be praised. But all too soon, you see, this man's eyes will be closed again in death. The important thing is that his faith saved him in order that his eyes will open again on the last day as Jesus opens them so that he may behold the same Lord who stood before him that day in Jericho. This is the faith that we desire. Saving faith that sees Jesus and clings to his word and his truth. By his spirit, the Lord gives us such faith. And he does this by his chosen means, his word and sacraments. 
For you see, in baptism, you were brought forth from darkness into light, which is itself another picture of going from blindness to sight. In his living and active word, the Spirit both calls you to faith in Christ and he strengthens that that faith in Christ. And in the holy gift of the Lord's holy supper, Jesus draws near to you and he answers your pleas for mercy as you taste and see that the Lord is good. Indeed, his mercy, his peace, and his forgiveness, they are yours in this feast of grace that he sets before you as the good shepherd sets a table before you in the midst of your enemies that you might have and receive his mercy, his peace. And so taking one last look at this beggar, we hear that upon receiving his sight, he followed Jesus, glorifying God. Again, this is what faith does. He followed Jesus in faith as our Lord went to Jerusalem and ultimately to the cross, fulfilling all that the prophets wrote concerning the Son of Man. And as for glorifying God, this is what beggars do. We stand alongside this man as a fellow forgiven beggar. Our confession is the same, that this man here, he did this for me. Jesus Christ, the Son of God and Son of Man, he did this for me. He has saved me. He has healed me. He shed his blood for me and died for me. This Jesus is risen and ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he has promised to return for me that I may be with him in paradise eternally. Perhaps the most brief definition of what it means to glorify or praise God is simply this, to recount what he has done in word, in song. As we prayed in the gradual, you are the God who does wonders. You have declared your strength among the peoples. You have with your arm redeemed your people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph. And of course, as is always the case, the introit carries this forth to us as well. In you, O Lord, I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in your righteousness. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, God of truth. Have mercy on me, O Lord. For I am in trouble. My eye wastes away with grief. Make your face shine on your servant. Save me for your mercy's sake. Be my rock of refuge, a fortress of defense to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for your name's sake, lead me and guide me. And he does, all the way to the place that he has prepared for you before the foundation of the earth. See, Quinquagesima finds us on the edge of that Lenten journey, as with the last two weeks, so this last Sunday of pre-Lent, it teaches us to completely despair of ourselves and rely solely upon the grace of God in Jesus Christ, our Savior. We are beggars before a merciful king. Though the alleluias have already gone, you see, dear saints, the Kyrie never does. Jesus' ears remain constantly open to our cries. We receive our wages according to his desire to give. We receive the word according to his boundless and reckless love which has brought it to us. And we cry to him as beggars who have nothing and yet expect to gain all good things from his nail-pierced hands. And so God be praised for his love which is patient, which is kind, and has borne all things for our pardon and our salvation. In the name of Jesus, amen. May the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, watch and guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. In peace, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy.
for the illumination of the church, that our gracious Father would heal our spiritual blindness to see the salvation prepared for us through his Son. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the church and her ministers, that pastors may bear gladly the crosses of their office, and that Christians may follow their example in bearing the reproach of the world, the attacks of Satan, and the temptations of the flesh, in the confidence of Christ's redemption. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the family and all godly Christian homes, that God would give parents diligence and persistence in their duties to teach the faith and word and example, and that he would keep all children in his promise made to them in their baptism, and that the patience, kindness, and endurance of Christian love would have no end among us. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For those in authority over us, that they would govern well and keep good order among us for the benefit of all. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For those living in the wake of the earthquake in Turkey, that our Lord would have mercy upon all affected and bless the efforts of those who seek to reach the dead, the dying, and the injured. In the midst of things that can be shaken, may the eyes of all people be turned to what can never be moved, the unfailing love of God in Christ. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For all who suffer, especially Charlotte Locke, Emma Kranz, Richard Phillips, Shirley Dover, John Montman, Ron Lyon, Bob Rash, Erlene Lakey, Lisa Rash, and Ted Phillips, that the God of all comfort would look on them with compassion, assure them of his presence, deliver them from the temptations of the evil one, and heal them according to his will. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For all who commune today, that our gracious Father would enable them by his Spirit to receive Christ's true body and blood faithfully, and that he would fill them with everlasting joy and the peace of forgiveness, so that they would be strengthened to follow him. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Lord God, Heavenly Father, what you foretold through the holy prophets has been fulfilled and accomplished in the suffering, death, and resurrection of your Son. You have set forth his passion and resurrection as the firm foundation and content for our faith. Have mercy on us and fix our eyes on the Son of David at all times. Give us courage to follow him through all adversity and every assault of the devil, and to view his passion with repentant hearts and delight, for by it you have redeemed us from all sin and evil. Comfort us with the certainty of Christ's resurrection, by which we have the confidence of eternal life. Through the same Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Well, again, good morning and welcome on this uh, beautiful, I don't know what to call it, late winter, early spring. It's, it's just feeling wonderful out there today, so thanks be to God for that. A handful of announcements as we do come into Lent proper this week, of course, what stands out in the calendar is Ash Wednesday. And so the schedule this week being 3.30, midweek school and catechism class, followed by our first of the Lenten meals at 5 p.m. and then our Ash Wednesday divine service at 5.45. Uh, prior to that in the week, uh, of course, Bible study today following worship, Esther Bible study tomorrow at 1.30. Uh, and then it's also a, a full week, Women's Theology on Tap on Tuesday at 7, Men's Theology on Tap Thursday at 7. And also, um, uh, my wife wanted to note this, that this is the final week to donate items for the Federer family. Those are the missionaries that we are supporting uh, who are serving in Romania. And so we do thank you, and thanks be to God for your kindness and generosity. And also, I would remind you that going into Lent, just to encourage you uh, to read the Catechism daily as we go through uh, Lent. And again, this is a reminder, uh, not the big, thick explanation in the back of your catechism, just the catechism itself. Uh, and we have here on this sheet 
um, uh, a schedule that you can follow, just a suggestion uh, as we continue to study God's word and to grow in that same word and to rejoice in the salvation we have in Christ our Savior. Um, the Trinity Women's Group, there is an announcement there as you've seen the past couple of weeks about the upcoming meals and those who are in charge of those. If you'd like to volunteer, uh, please get a hold of whomever is in charge of the meal for that given Wednesday and let them know that you'd like to help out. With that being said, God's peace be with you as we turn our face toward Jerusalem and follow Jesus to the cross and the empty tomb thereafter, preparing to celebrate the Paschal Feast in joy. I'll greet you at the door. God's peace be with you.